The Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. My guest in this episode is Ohio Senator Kenny Yuko. Senator Yuko is the Ohio Democratic Caucus Minority Leader in the Senate, and we spoke on several issues, the transportation budget, Ohio's school budget, House Bill 6, which is the first energy nuclear bailout, as well as uh, his view on the elections and the makeup of the Ohio Senate leadership. So without further ado, here is Senator Kenny Yuko. Hello, Leader Yuko. Hey, good morning, Tim. How are you today? Oh, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Well, appreciate you joining us. This is uh, Thursday, October 15th, 2020. And uh, obviously, we are less than a month away from November 3rd. It can't get here soon enough. But w- what's your take on that? Are you ready for it to get over with, or are you, uh, I, you wish you had I more am, time? I am hoping and praying for November 4th to come <laughs> faster <laughs> than anyone can believe. I mean, uh, this campaign has been, I mean, campaigns normally are grueling, that you know. Yeah. But when you have a pandemic on top of it, when you have so much social unrest, you have so many issues on the table, whether they be talking about your, your transportation dollars that are, have basically become non-existent mm. uh, due to the fact that nobody's traveling anymore. People are working from home. So we've lost that valuable tool. The fact that we've cut so much funding for our schools and now because of the pandemic, we're saying, okay, we're going to teach you, teach you from home. But a lot of schools don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the ability to provide iPads for everybody yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, sometimes just having the, the system set up in other homes that that hasn't happened yet so it makes it challenging uh, for our schools and you and we've seen it we've seen uh, schools that have opened and they've shut back down we've seen schools that have started with sports and shut them down um all, all this stuff has taken a lot at their toll on, on the school's finances so right. we have to look at that we have to look at our health concerns uh what are we doing health-wise are, are we doing the right things are we making the right decisions uh you know do we have to wear a mask or, or is it okay if we don't is it, is it, do we have to keep social distancing? Do we have to close the bars at 10 o'clock? I mean, there is so much that we, we can talk about, but the reality of this is our responsibility. And if we want to, if we want to get through this pandemic, we're all going to have to do our, our fair share. You know, nobody likes to wear a mask right. unless you're a bank robber, but um, <laughs> you know, it's something that we really have to do. Right. We, we have to pr- practice social distancing. Um, you know, I, I love getting together with people. I love being with people. And this is absolutely killing me to, to do so much from my basement office here at, in Richmond Heights, mm-hmm. as opposed to being all over the state. Usually during a campaign cycle, I'm traveling in all 88 counties. I'm, right. I'm sitting in, in Richmond Heights, 44143 every day, you know, on, <laughs> either my iPad or on the phone. And uh, it, it's quite a, quite a difference. Oh, yeah. And we don't, we, don't get the, we don't get that feedback that you get when you're face-to-face with people and you're listening to them. And you can put your hand on your their shoulder when they're telling you their tales of woe because of uh, some hardships that they're experiencing. You know, I watch with the hospitals and what they're going through. I, I, I watch with the, our our first responders and what they're going through. I, I listen in detail about their police departments. And I can tell you from my perspective here in Richmond Heights, our police department have stepped up the game mm-hmm. to reconnect with the community like I've never seen. And I can't be more proud of them. But yeah, we do have those incidents where, you know, they, I can't breathe, you know, and, and sure. police abuse. But that's, I think that's reflective of such a small minority mm-hmm. of the general population of our police departments. For the most part, they're, they're good people, good women and men that get in law enforcement for the right reasons. They yeah. do the best they can. They do have big hearts, many of them. Um, but yet they're all being lumped into that same, just, just like us politicians. I mean, I, I mean, have you heard, you know, He's a politician. Don't trust him. You know, yeah. that breaks my heart because I work so hard to earn your trust, try to do the right things, try to do uh, all the investigations so that when we make a decision, it's the right decision. Make sure it benefits you. Mm-hmm. Make sure we don't just vote for things because the party says it's the right thing to do. Right. If it doesn't benefit your, your particular neighborhood, your people, uh, and I'll talk about the Perry plant, for example, on that. You know, I represent half of Lake County. Uh, you know, I'm a proud member of Labor's Local 60. I joined in 1975. In fact, it was back in 1975. They sent me out to the Perry Nuclear Power Plant. And I remember working on a job. We got laid off on a Friday. I called the Union Hall on Saturday. And I said, okay, we all got laid off. 
on Friday. I was a steward on that job. Mm-hmm. And they said, uh, I said, so if you, next time you have an opening for a guy, you know, I'm available. And they said, well, okay, here, we're going to send out the Perry nuclear power plant on Monday. It's okay. I, I don't know where it's at. And they said, it's out in Lake County. So you hop in a shoreway, take it out to Route 20, where it kind of blends right in there. Right. Stay right on east on 20th. You get to Center Street, turn left, and go all the way out to the lake. And that's where the Perry nuclear power plant is. So I went out there that morning, the next that mon- Monday morning, drove out there. I get all the way to the lake. I see some bunch of flat ground with some bushes here and there all over the place. And I don't see no Perry nuclear power plants. So I turn around. I, no one else is there. So I drive up the Route 20. I see a gas station. Reached in my pocket, took a dime out, put it in the payphone, <laughs> went to pick up the phone, and there's a cord dangling. Someone pulled it out. I said, okay, that's not going to work. So got in my car, went to the next gas station, same thing, third gas station. This time I checked first. The cord was connected, so put my dime in the phone, called the union off. I said, there's no damn Perry plant out here. <laughs> they said, no, you're going to build it. I said, okay. So by the time I got back to the job site, uh, there was one pickup truck there from Alabama from the contractor, and he said he just got a radio call, and he said, uh, trailers that were supposed to be setting up tool trailers, office trailers, and one that were about five hours away. <laughs> so he says, go, go have a nice lunch somewhere. Come back in by two o'clock at the latest. Yeah. And I said, okay. So I took, uh, by that time I had three other laborers show up. So we hopped in my car. We drove to route 20. We found a bar. We walked in and the girl behind the bar says, what can I get you fellas? And we said, we're, coming, we're hungry. Uh, what do you got to eat? <laughs> she said, well, you got two choices. We got potato chips over here. And we got pretzels over here. <laughs> I, I kind of had a taste for a greasy cheeseburger and some fries or a bowl of chili or something like that. You know, said, no, we don't have food here. Well, it wasn't about six months later I went in that same bar and all of a sudden they had a full operation restaurant, you know, with all kinds of food and right. serving breakfast and the whole nine yards. Because of Perry? Because of Perry. You yeah. know, I, I saw that, I saw Center Street be a, a converted from an old dirt road to a nice paved road. I saw their police department and fire department go from a volunteer status to uh, first class. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw no other businesses on, on Route 20. All of a sudden, we got in car dealerships and shopping centers and medical facilities and, and restaurants and the whole nine yards. You know, the economic development for that area was phenomenal. And then as we started working, and of course, we had Reactor 1 and Reactor 2 at the time, mm-hmm. uh, we're looking at 15, 20 years of work for the trades. And I know a lot of people who are interested in driving out there and, and moving. Uh, housing was very affordable. Uh, but they didn't like their schools. Well, they took care of that. They made Perry one of the best schools in the country. And uh, if you've had a chance to get out to uh, Perry High School or not, but it's it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would be the envy of most school districts. So how old were you when you went out there to start working? I was 25 back then in 1975. 25? And then what, yeah, what kind I'm, of work I'm did seven, you... I'm, I'm 70 now. I was with the laborers. We, we, actually, we actually poured the, the reactor bases uh, and, and for the cooling towers. Mm-hmm. It was a special kind of porous concrete. Um, it looks like something a rabbit would leave in your backyard if he was hopping through your backyard one day. <laughs> and you kind, of, you kind of put it down, and, and that's how we poured the bases for, like, the cooling towers back, back in those days. Okay. Um, it, it, was, it was quite, you know, we did a lot of concrete work back in those, those days. We used the Kelly closures as we, uh, so we can keep the cold winds from the Lake Erie mm-hmm. um, away from the workers and from the concrete, help the curing process and whatnot. It was a great experience. I mean, and obviously it wasn't on the ground. It was deep into the ground. Yeah. Um, so just sometimes getting down and in, down into where you're working was a challenge, especially in the springtime when that mud, 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 when it gets wet, gets very slippery. Well, how deep did they bury that? Uh, it's just pretty, it's pretty deep. It was, I, I couldn't tell you the deep yeah. right now yeah. and be, be accurate, but it was pretty, pretty deep and it was pretty thick what we poured too. So uh, you were there at 25. When did you start as a laborer? I, st- I started in, in the beginning of 75. Okay, that was, same year. Up there like, like in the fall. Yeah. Uh, late or fall, almost November, December, when we got sent out to the Perry plant to go work. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Lyndhurst. In, born in Euclid, and then in 1958, we moved up to Lyndhurst. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad worked for Lincoln Electric for uh, his entire life. Yeah. And uh, 44 years he worked up there, worked his way up. Uh, he got a job because when he was a young fellow in like, eighth grade, and his, his dad went to him and says, okay, with the depression and everything, you're the oldest of the three boys. You're going to have to drop out of school and get a job to help us put some food on the table here. Mm. So he got a job at Lincoln just cleaning up around the machinery and whatnot. Uh, kept on getting more and more involved. 
um, wound up with a double hernia, which back in those days put you in the hospital for, it's an, it's an out, outpatient procedure now, but back yeah. in the early 50s, it kept him in the hospital for almost uh, two weeks. And then when he got out, he had ordered from the doctors light duty, which they really didn't have at Lincoln, but they did put him in the guard shack. Mm-hmm. And then he eventually made him the head of security and then head of salvage department and head of uh, the cafeteria and head of the safety department, the whole nine yards. He kept on getting promoted, did very well for himself. Um, and it's kind of funny because I was very instrumental in securing a million dollars from the state of Ohio mm-hmm. so that what we could do is uh, invest in that wind turbine, which, as you know, yep. uh, 434 feet high in the air, it cost $5.3 million, came from Germany. Uh, the federal government kicked in a million, the state of Ohio kicked in a million, Lincoln picked up the rest. But that paid for itself in just a little better than three years. Is that right? So it gives you, gives you some indication of what we can do with, with solar. Right. And I mean, uh, with wind turbines. And it wasn't too long ago. I, I'm very active with the Great Lakes Legislative Caucus. We had a, a, one of our annual meetings out in Buffalo. So as my wife and I were driving out to Buffalo, we're driving along the shoreway there as we we're approaching Buffalo. And all of a sudden, I thought, well, we must be getting closer because I see a bunch of wind turbines. And I knew they were putting some wind turbines up in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Well, we're driving, Tim, and we're driving, and we're driving. And all we kept on seeing is more and more wind turbines. And you know, we're driving and driving and driving. And we're just more and more wind turbines. And uh, then we got to Toledo event, or uh, Buffalo. We started talking to some of the people there. They said, my God, since all those wind, wind turbines went into the area, the economic development that picked up in the Buffalo area old rundown buildings that were totally rebuilt mm-hmm. or completely torn down and, and rebuilt from scratch. But the bottom line is it produced a lot of jobs, uh, a lot of economic development, a lot of opportunity for a, a town, much like we have a lot of here in Ohio. Right. And I, I know what can happen if we do the right things. If we don't do the right things, uh, we're going to continue to fall in the wrong direction. And that's what we don't want to do. The wind project that uh, has been talked about in Northeast Ohio is the Icebreaker Project, right? We've been talking about that since the days of Ted Strickland. Uh-huh. We talked about not, not only that project, but I can remember them, the criticism being that we couldn't make that happen because of the ice and the icebergs that came across the lake. They would knock those things down. Right. It just didn't make sense to invest. That's when they came across with that new design and, that's, and the new name, Icebreaker. <laughs> because just like the icebreaker ships open up pathways for our, our, our boats in the wintertime, these would sit there in a, on a permanent status. But as the nice barge came at it, it would just hit the front of that and, and split into pieces. And that wind turbine would continue to sit. And, you know, we thought we had this going. I mean, we, we've been, we've been working on this. Also, we had a meeting in Columbus a couple of weeks ago and last second, it got knocked off the chart. You know, at the very last second, they, they said, okay, we're not, we're not, not going to need this right now and yet the truth is we do need it mm-hmm. and we need to talk about solar you know we, we were talking about solar when i was campaigning for this job in 2003 and 2004 and i when i, I built a new house in 1997 and i asked the builder about you know do we can we take a look at solar right and, and book me up with some people but it would take me so long to pay for that system right. <laughs> it just didn't make sense yeah you don't live you in know, your house it, long it, enough it would, if they would make it more affordable so you can see, see the light at the end of the tunnel. But when you're looking at I me, mean, you, you build a house and the bank says you have to pay it off in 30 years. And the people from the solar people are saying, well, you'll, you'll start seeing the financial windfalls from this in about 40 years. And mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute. That's right. It's not very good math in my books. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we need to do better. And you, when you look at the opportunity to them, you look at all the houses. You know, I, I live in Richmond Heights. I represent, you know, Bedford, Bedford Heights, Maple Heights, Warrensville Heights, uh, Euclid. I go on the East Cleveland. I go all the way up to Fairport Harbor and Painesville. These are all like bedroom communities. Right. So you see house after house after house after. And I don't see any doggone solar panels on any of these houses. And, and so, the, you know, the opportunity is there. If we can get together somehow or other, find a way to get solar energy up and running, mm-hmm. uh, we have a great opportunity. When we did that wind turbine for Lincoln Electric, Sopco Industries, in conjunction with, I believe it was Case Western Reserve University, put up two smaller uh, wind turbines. And again, these are win-win situations. We have solar panels on top of Euclid City Hall and on, and on top of the Euclid Public Library. Mm-hmm. That Part of that energy goes to the 
City Hall and part of it goes to the library, but the rest goes in the storage and it gets sold off. And that was also, I believe, with Case Western Reserve University. You know, we, we, we've got the technology. We've got the know-how. Somehow or other, you know, we've got the desire because you hear people scream and holler all the time. You know, mm-hmm. let's get clean energy. Right. Clean up your environment. You know, you look at, I'm 70 years old. You know, it used to be right now in October, we're, we're almost wearing winter jackets. You know, right now we still got 70 degree temperatures almost every day in sunshine. Christmas was always under snow. We haven't, I don't know when the last time we've had snow on Christmas. Right. Easter was always, I remember playing, going outside to play because I had two sisters who used to get their hairs permanent with the with my mom. You know, and the house stunk. You know, we lived in a little bungalow. <laughs> so we'd go outside and play. Yeah. It smelled better, you know. But now, Easter, we have snow. You know, St. Patrick's Day, we always said March came in like a lion and went out like a lamp. So St. Patrick's Day was always a, a crapshoot, whether it's going to be nicer or if it's going to be uh, cold out. Right. Now, now you're almost guaranteed it's going to be cold mm-hmm. because the weather's, the weather's shifting so much. Uh, we wish we have four seasons. Now it seems like we have three seasons. Um, we're always missing yeah. out on one of our seasons. And, uh, and nuclear power is still a source of clean power. It's just, it, why can't it, it support power, itself? And and it's 15% of our energy, but it, it, you know, there's a pro- problem we have with disposal of waste material from that. You know, who wants waste from a nuclear power plant in their yeah. community or nobody. their state? Nobody wants it. Nobody wants you to transport it to their states. Right. Um, I think we knew back back in 1975, Tim, that this was not a a forever solution, mm. uh, but we knew it was necessary. Uh, we were very hopeful. We thought perhaps with technology, future technology, we, we could possibly make it uh, a lifetime opportunity. But the fact was that never materialized. Uh, there's a lot of criticism. Again, getting rid of waste material was, was a problem, um, but it is clean energy. And it's what people had asked for. They didn't want the coal burning plants anymore. Mm. Um, and it's tough coming from a state because we have a, a tremendous coal community of hardworking right. people. My grandfather came over from the old country. He was born in 1897. He became a coal miner in Johnstown in Uniontown, Pennsylvania. That's what they did back then. Where did he come from? Slovenia. Slovenia. Okay. Yep. I'm a Slovenian. And my mom's an Irish girl, so I, had a, I was a Slovenian-Irish guy. And, uh, <laughs> So don't keep me out in the sun for too long because I'll fry like a lobster. <laughs> I'm with you on that. <laughs> got the red hair and everything. Yeah, I got three red-haired uh, granddaughters. So my mom's up in heaven looking down and smiling because she never got a chance to meet them, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we, there, we have so much opportunity here. We really do. We, we have the technology. We, you know, we've got tremendous colleges and universities. We've got very smart people. Um, and we, we we can do better. We should do better. We must do better. That's well, what it comes down to House Bill Six was in the news all summer for bad reasons oh, because God, um, yes. Speaker Householder was was indicted and charged. He's he's still in the House. He's he's just a normal representative now. But that indictment is still pending. But but that whole thing stemmed from First Energy needing a bailout, for lack of a better word, from from the state government because the nuclear plants couldn't support themselves. Why can't they support themselves? Well, that's a good question. And of course, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people pointed out to me the fact that if you want to go see a Browns game, now that we can let a few people in the stadium, what do you see when you walk up to that facility? Right. Great big letters, First Energy. Right. Cost them an awful lot of money to get their name up there. Okay. But so how can you, how can you put your name on a football stadium, but you can't have enough money to, to continue to provide the services that you're intended to do? Right. You know, so we had, we had a lot of questions about that. But we also heard from people, like I said, you know, I, I come from the building trades. I, I've been a proud member since, you know, 1975. So I've been around for a long time, 45 plus years now with uh, being a member of the building trades. I was, I was appointed uh, union organizer in 1980. Mm-hmm. So from 1980 until 2004, when I retired, um, I was a union official, often went out to the Perry plant uh, for various reasons. And, uh, you know, during shutdowns, we have trades from all, all the building trades go out there to work. Right. And almost from a, a can to can situation. When you can stand up, you start working, you can't stand away, you, you take a nap for a mm-hmm. while. Uh, you make a lot of money. You contribute to your health and welfare fund. You contribute to your pension fund. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of good things. And that money goes back to your communities. These are the guys who go home and they buy a newer pickup truck or a brand new one. They can buy something, you know, 
stainless steel appliances for their wife for their kitchen. Right. They can buy kids new clothes. They can go to nice restaurants. Uh, but they spend that money. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't they don't put in tin cans and bread in the backyard. Right. They take all that extra money they make and they spend it in their communities. It's not going after Alabama either. No, you're right. And when you get, and when you get situations like I'm in right now in Richmond Heights where we're going for a school levy, I can remember uh, I'm I'm co-chairing it again, and I'm making phone calls and I'm hearing the same stories. You know, right now you're calling it a bad time. We got the pandemic. I don't know how long we're going to keep our jobs. We're working from home. We're making less money. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm hearing all the tales of woe. Um, but the fact is our, our kids need, need the help. Um, and so I also heard from when I was talking about House Bill 6, I heard from all of our mayors, our city council people, our county commissioners, our port authority, our chamber of commerce. Mm-hmm. They all said, do you realize, do you know how important the Perry nuclear power plant is to all of Northeast Ohio? Right. And we're not just talking about Perry, Ohio. Uh, I can remember four years ago when I was co-chairing another one of our school levies and going door to door here in Richmond Heights and talking to people. The people expressing concerns because they heard rumors about Perry plant perhaps shutting down four years ago. And they're saying, you know, my husband works there or my wife works there. She's right. a breadwinner for, for our home. Um, so they were concerned. But, you know, it goes all over. We have people who work in Perry who live in Strongsville and Berea. Right. But uh, they've been there. Uh, they're hardworking people. Um, and they bring so much to the table for so many reasons. Most of those jobs with the trades are, as you know, all union, right. uh, unions have now represented most of the workers within the plant as well. And these guys that work hard, they, they get good health and welfare. So God forbid they get sick. They have got medical coverage so they can go to the hospital or doctor and get treatment. They can retire and still live in dignity because they got a pension supplementing uh, their income as, right. as a retiree. And again, you know, going to their restaurants and, and, and buying newer cars and fixing their yards up and, hiring landscapers or snow flowers, you know, anything that keeps the cash flow moving in our community. So it's a, it's a very powerful thing that we, we've created, but what's, it's also <laughs> something we need to work on constantly. What's the, um, the makeup of your district in terms of the mayors that are in your district? Are they Republican, Democrat? How does that shake out? Well, I have, you know, I have two of my house districts are in Cuyahoga County. And they are mostly still all Democrat. And then they go into Lake County and then they, they flip over to the Republican side. Okay. Um, you know, so it's, it's a little bit, I got a little mixed to deal with. Right. Um, but they were all in favor of this. Hey, absolutely. Absolutely. Because uh, I think everybody knows that they understand how important it was, to, you know, to keep the jobs going, so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and unfortunately, the state of Ohio, we got 88 counties. A lot of them don't understand, you know, they're not on the shores of Lake Erie. They're not near the shores of Lake Erie. And, you know, if it's, if it's not my problem, it's not directly impacting me, right. you know, why, why would I do this? Why, right. why would I bail out a company who obviously mismanaged something that did something, you know, improper or whatever the case may be, because you don't design something. People told me a long time ago, Tim, you don't fail the plan. Uh, or you don't plan to fail. You fail the plan. Right. And I, I think the case was when we started with this Perry nuclear power plant, we started learning more and more about nuclear power. And, you know, the, the jokes we had when we first went out there, you know, if we keep work out here for the next two or three years, when we go home at night, are we going to glow green <laughs> when we turn off the bedroom light at night? You know, right. things that you, just, you talked about back in those days. You know, obviously, none of that ever materialized. Uh, it's a very safe process. I toured the plant after House Bill 6 was passed. Um, you know, we went out to Perry High School. They wanted to have a uh, Perry Appreciation Day for the legislatures who mm-hmm. asked House Bill 6. We went out there, met with their families. We met with the workers, their spouses, their children. Um, we took pictures with them. I mean, it, it was a glorious day. People were very, very happy. They, they felt their jobs were safe and secure now, and they can finally breathe that sigh of relief. And then all of a sudden, a few months later, I'm driving to Columbus, and also my chief of staff calls me and said, did you see the news that just mm-hmm. came out breaking news i said in my car and on the phone as i usually am mm-hmm. i said no, I, what's the breaking news they said the fbi just went in and arrested the speaker of the house and four others and i said oh my god what happened you know and he told me there's a 61 million dollar bribe having tied into house bill six and and my heart's just sunk mm-hmm. because i knew what was coming next 
someone's going to stand up and say, okay, then you know what? Let's repeal this. And we worked so hard to try to talk to people and try to explain to them our perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, the jobs that were there, the fact that it was clean energy, that it provided 15% of the energy for Northeast Ohio. And if we, let's say we had a great big coal plant in Southern Ohio and they, they could produce a lot more energy. So, okay, how do you get that energy from Southern Ohio to the shores of Lake Erie? You know, when we built the Perry plant, we had all that infrastructure in mind. We did, we don't have it. We have an, an old coal plant down in Southern Ohio. Right. And then who's going to pay for that? You know, we, they talked about the fact of the money and they talked about the fact that uh, some some of the money we were setting aside through our, our electric bills was going to set have set asides for solar and wind energy conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that was going to be eliminated. So the reality of it was people weren't going to see an increase. They, they may have even seen a slight decrease in their electric bill because of it. Um, I, I think we did a good job. You know, obviously. Mm-hmm. As a piece of legislation, and uh, you know, it's kind of funny when I was a union rep. Still, it was that around that time when I was going to district council meetings every month, and every month we get the legislative report, and you know, the damn legislators doing this and they're doing that, and they're talking about this and they're talking about elimination prevailing wage and collective bargaining. And I finally stood up one day and said, "Why well, don't one of us retire early and have our unions support this person, and, and then we'll have a voice, a strong voice for labor." working families in the, in the state house. Right. I'm, I'm tired of hearing all this garbage about, you know, we're going to eliminate this and eliminate that. Unions have been around for over a hundred years. You're, you're, you don't stay around that long if you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And I often talk about the fact that when I represented uh, the security force at the water department for the city of Cleveland, I had to do my labor negotiations with attorneys, obviously, but mm-hmm. the mayor often sat in those meetings. His name is George Vinovich. And, and George Voinovich wasn't too happy with me per, because I was, I was Sebastian Lapica sent, uh, sent me down because 860 had experience with collect public employee collective bargaining. So he helped, right. had me go down to uh, Columbus and work with the Ohio Senate. And we worked uh, in 1980, 81, 82, and 83. Finally passed in about November of 83, Senate Bill 133 which gave public employees the right to be represented by a labor organization. Really? Not, not until 1983? 1983, and then take effect until April 1st of 1984. Huh. And, uh, and then all hell broke loose. I mean, every union, international union, gave all kinds of money to Ohio because we're going to be, everyone's going to be organizing it. And we did. It was a flurry of activity, day right. and night. Um, but we worked things out, you know, and we worked together. And rather than compete against one another, we one union would bow out of this facility, so... And then we would get the permission to continue to organize at the other one. So we weren't fighting each other all the time. Yeah. It worked out very well. And then lo and behold, you know, our, our mayor of Cleveland, George Wentz, eventually became governor. Right. With a Republican controlled Senate and House, he could have changed Senate Bill 133 with a, with a blink of an eye. But he didn't. You know why? Because it worked. It was great for everybody. You know, everybody knew where they stood, how much they were going to make, how much they were going to spend. The whole nine yards, we can plan accordingly. And it went extremely well. And then you saw Senate Bill 5 come around. Um, when John Chase. 2011, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and the, the havoc that we caused. And then, of course, you know, we all stood together. We stood strong. We overturned it by right. a significant vote. Right. And I think that sent a message. And I think John Chase learned his lesson at that point. And he says, okay, I'm done. I'm not taking these guys down anymore. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I don't think our current governor, Mike DeWine, has any intention of doing anything with public employee collective bargaining. So, you know, that's good. But, you know, the, the bottom line, Tim, is we all have to work together. You know, whether you're a union, whether you're an employer, whether you're an elected official, whether you're a resident, you know, I, we have so much in-house bickering, fighting, finger pointing, name calling, um, accusations being made. Larry Householder, obviously, he doesn't have to stand up to his responsibility, his actions in a court of law. Mm-hmm. And that's because he didn't follow the law. But for the rest of us who do follow the law, uh, again, I think it sends a very powerful message that if we work together, we can make things happen. You know, back in, well, back in my day, when I first came a, a, a legislator, um, I came, went into Columbus and I think my first interview with the Columbus dispatchers, what do you want to accomplish as a new legislator? And I said, I want to bring casinos to Ohio. I said, my wife and I travel a lot, but uh, we go to West Virginia, we go to Pennsylvania, we go mm-hmm. to Michigan, we go to New York, we go to casinos, we see all these Ohio cars. Right. 
know, and, and I can't go to a casino in Ohio because we don't have any. And I know for a while that we tried to get VLTs, video lottery term, terminals, into our racinos, um, in our racetracks and create racinos. Right. Uh, we didn't gaming, so we couldn't do a, a slot machine, but we could do video lottery terminals that look exactly like a slot machine that you're used to if you've gone to a casino or not. And uh, we couldn't make that happen either, but we eventually did pass legislation. Um, the governor had asked me to write it, and I did. Uh, and we took that we took that bill, and we took 53% of the revenue, and we distributed to all 88 counties, which mm-hmm. is how we pa- passed that legislation and passed that uh, constitutional amendment we, we put on a vote of the people. They, when they realized that they were going to reap some of the benefit. And Lake County, for example, is one of our smallest counties. I think their first check was for $2 million. And when you're a small county and you're struggling to get by, and all of a sudden someone says, okay, well, here's your share. Sorry, it's only $2 million. I mean, you're jumping for joy. Right. Yeah. And you look at the, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping back and forth, but I got so much to tell you in such a short no, period was, of time. Yeah, it made me think of, uh, no, there's no <laughs> need for apologies, but uh, you know, that whole conversation makes me think of um, just the whole category of sort of like vice you know people think of gambling as as a vice um alcohol uh, marijuana smoking um these well, that's things another one of my bills Tim. You know, I, I did the medical marijuana bill too <laughs> yeah well um what do you think about that bill what do you think about the future of marijuana in ohio well here's what happened i was a, i was a first-time candidate in 2003 i went to a state center just because i was curious what what i might possibly get myself into mm-hmm. so i went to a state dinner i put i bought a little name badge at a little print shop said kenny yuko for state representative and i walked in and some lady walked up to me she says so you're running for state rep huh and i said yes i am she said okay what's your position on medical marijuana yeah and i started laughing i said why are you laughing i said because you just said medical marijuana <laughs> i said i never heard those two words put together you know i said i heard of marijuana i've heard of medical but i never heard of you know, Cheech and Chong, they go together. William Nelson go together. Um, but George and Carlin go together. But medical marijuana, are you serious? And she told me I was stupid. I was ugly. She hopes I lost the election. She was going to vote against me. <laughs> she had no idea where I was even from, but she was going to vote against me. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, here, wait, wait a minute. Give me give me a break here. You know, I, this is the first time I've heard of the term medical marijuana. It's kind of interesting. I said, so uh, let me do some research on it. Well, back in 2003, Tim, there wasn't a lot of research. Right. But one thing that was out there was that there's a lot of people in the medical community that felt that medical cannabis could do valuable relief for people suffering from multiple sclerosis. Mm-hmm. And I had a stroke in two, the year 2000. And when I was at the hospital, I can remember it was on St. Patrick's Day, about 3 o'clock in the morning, about four doctors walked in the room. And they said, why didn't you tell us you had MS? What? And I said, okay, first of all, I don't even know what MS is. It's a multiple sclerosis. And I said, okay, God, I have that too. You know, uh-huh. I have a stroke. I said, okay, I, I know nothing about this stuff. And, you know, so I did some research. I also read that, you know, like I said, it, it, it had some benefits for people with MS. Right. Um, as, as the additional research, you know, the tingling in my leg that I had for 20 years, I just thought I was sleeping in a funny. Mm. Turns out it was probably the number one symptom of MS at the time. And so, you know, I knew, I knew it had some potential, but you know, when I got elected and I talked about it, everyone told me, don't even go there. You'll, you'll, <laughs> right. you'll never get reelected. And number two, if people support you, they'll, they won't get reelected. So don't, don't even go down that path. Nobody wants it. Medical marijuana or any other kind of marijuana in Ohio. Sure. But I, I never gave up. And for eight years I tried, we did introduce it myself and uh, state representative Bobby Hagan in around 2011. Jim, the only thing that came out of that bill was every time I walked in the state house, I heard, hey, Yuko, how many joint sponsors have you got? <laughs> uh, if I had a dollar for every time I heard that joke, I'd be a millionaire right now. Um, but then I was off for two years, as you know, because the term limits took me took me away from the House, and I, the seat in the Senate wasn't open yet, so I had two years, and I was campaigning for the Senate seat mm-hmm. at that time. And we had that new initiative for recreational and medical marijuana on the ballot. Right. And I did not support that. I, I knew that we was had the one with the uh, the commercials with the dancing marijuana bud. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, right. I knew there was a strong need for medical marijuana. I knew, you know, it was we were going through an opiate crisis in this nation, mm-hmm. actually in this world. 
that was just unbelievable. I knew that medical cannabis, when they when they did it the right way, would not make you high, but it would make you feel better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for the right reasons, not for, not for the wrong reasons. So I I, I was really hell bent on doing that. Uh, I saw the all the polling showed that 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 particular initiative was going to go down in flames. And then those in the medical marijuana community reached out to me again and again and again. They said, come on, you got to pick this up. So we did. And I eventually did a bill. I did it with Senator David Burke, a Republican. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't my choice. It was what the <laughs> speaker, uh, Senate president at the time ordered me. He said, if you want to have a chance with this bill, right. you're, you're going to have to do it with Senator David Burke. Okay. And I said, okay, I, I can work with anybody. But David Burke is a, probably the most conservative of the Republicans. Hmm. He's a pharmacist by trade, and he owns his own pharmaceutical company. And that, that's the industry that has the most to lose if we pass the medical marijuana bill. And at the opening um, press conference we are having, as we are walking to the press conference, my staff says, you know what you're going to say when you get up there? And I said, yeah, I'm going to say, welcome, everybody. Glad you came. I'm Senator Cheech. This is my partner, Senator, Senator John. <laughs> and he said, Senator Burke will fall over if you say something. Don't say that. And I said, okay, I was just kidding. <laughs> so I, I walk into the press conference room, and, and Senator Burke is already at the podium. And he said, okay, here's, some, here's my colleague who's going to work with me on this. Senator Kenny Yuko is probably the most optimistic person in Ohio when it comes to medical marijuana. He says, I'm Senator David Burke. I am the most pessimistic person in Ohio. Uh-huh. How we're, how we're going to do this, I don't know. But we did it by, by going on a listening tour, basically. I knew people who really needed medical cannabis might not be able to come down to Columbus to testify. Mm-hmm. So I talked to Senator Burke and said, let's, let's take this on the road. So we went on a Saturday to Cleveland State University. It was in the wintertime. It was bitter cold. It was freezing. It was rain. It was hail. It was strong winds. And I thought, oh boy, I wonder if anyone's going to show up. We had it scheduled. We reserved the room for the entire day. Supposed to start at 9. We got there at 8. There were already people there. We had about 650 people show up that day to testify. Mm. Senator Burke and I conducted it like a we would do a typical committee meeting in Columbus. People came by and testified. We were able to ask them questions. Uh, they submitted written testimony. It was absolutely phenomenal. We were the, we sat there for over eight hours. We never got up for a cup of coffee to go to the bathroom, to eat lunch or anything. We just sat there and took care of person after person. Uh, two weeks later, we went down to the University of Cincinnati. We had about 750 people show up that day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely phenomenal. Same thing. We didn't take a break. We just dealt with the people. Two weeks later, we were at the University of Toledo. And we had about 700 people show up that day. Just absolutely phenomenal what we learned, what we heard, and, and the passion. And many of them brought their kids, little kids, in wheelchairs. And we knew for a fact that a little bit of cannabis or cannabis oil even put some on, a dab on your finger and put it underneath the lip of a baby having a seizure mm-hmm. with epilepsy or something. We can stop that seizure in, in less than two minutes. And some of these kids were having not, not a couple of seizures a day, but they were having 50, 75, even 100 seizures a day. And we knew that the next seizure could cause permanent brain damage and or death. We had to do something. Mm-hmm. And, and, the, and the more people I met, and I started visiting homes. And of course, when you start visiting homes, you open yourself up for all kinds of commotion because everyone's going to start calling you. Can you come to my house? Can you come to my house? Mm-hmm. I visited over 500 homes during that process of passing our medical marijuana bill. Right. And since then, you know, we've been off to a very slow start. The governor Kasich at the time when we were done, I, I asked to meet with him and I was all pumped up. I was excited. I had all these ideas. He says, no, your job's done. I mean, you know, we're going to put together a, a special group of people, experts in the field who know what they're doing. We're going to get this thing happening. But he said he needed two years. I said, I can get us up and running in eight months. Because simply, we're not inventing anything. Right. We're not creating something brand new. We're just going to copycat the other states. That's what I did when I did a casino bill. And, you know, it's still called one of the best written bills in, in the country when it comes to putting a, a new state into the casino business. Hmm. And it wasn't because I'm smart. It was because I'm a good thief, I guess, because I stole from all the different states that already had casinos and and I talked to everybody. I said, what works extremely well and what doesn't work at all? Because if it doesn't work, I don't want it in my bill. If it works extremely well, I might want to take a look at it and perhaps put it in our our piece of legislation. And it works out very, very well for everybody. And I I think we've done our due diligence for multiple reasons for a lot of of pieces of legislation. 
when you when you do the work and you try to be fair and, and both sides of the aisle can work and participate in the process, uh, we can accomplish a lot. When you sit back and you draw that line in the sand and you dare the other side to cross it, I mm-hmm. mean, uh, it doesn't serve anybody any good. How long have and you been? How long have you been uh, leader, minority leader? Uh, last four years. I, I got elected in two thousand seventeen, so seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. Yeah, and but it goes by fast. <laughs> it seems like yesterday. Oh man, and uh, yeah. well, a lot's happened in the last four years. Oh my um, God, yes, congressional redistricting. I mean, my God, that was something almost every state had been worked on, working on for over twenty years, and to no avail. Uh, finally, we, we were going to try to do it with the four leaders. Um which are not in leadership anymore. Uh, Speaker Rosenberger, who was before Householder, he right. was one of the leaders. He was a Senate, I mean, a House Speaker of the House. Uh, Fred Strayhorn was the minority leader at the time. Mm-hmm. Larry Apoff was still Senate President. I, I was minority leader in the Senate. We started working on it. We realized that with our four schedules, try, try to get a meeting with four, it's like herding cats. Right. You know, we just couldn't do it. So we each appointed somebody. And uh, we started working on it. We worked on it for 11 months, Tim. Uh, so so diligently, seven days a week, we were on the phone with somebody talking about it, meetings galore. And we just couldn't pull the trigger. And at the last minute, it was, and it was Super Bowl Sunday, it was the day before, Larry Apoff calls me up and says, would you be willing to meet with me in Akron tomorrow? My appointee was Vernon Sykes, Senator Vernon Sykes. Mm-hmm. We're going to ask Senator Byrne and Sykes and you and your legal counsel, your chief legal counsel, to meet with the president, Matt Huffman, who was his appointee, mm-hmm. and their chief legal counsel. We spent about eight hours in Akron. We thought we did a pretty good job. We're driving home, and my legal counsel called me, and she said, Leader, we're not even close to having a deal. <laughs> we're looking here at the two attorneys, and they said, Oh, my God, we didn't even address this. We didn't look at this. We didn't do this. We didn't do that. We just don't have a deal. Right. And, you know, you should, you should call the Senate president and let him know. So I, I called Larry and he said, well, we tried and, and just didn't work. And I said, no, 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 we got to I called him throughout the entire game. He finally called me back after the game around midnight. He said, where are you right now? I said, well, I'm in my family. I'm watching the recap of the Super Bowl that I didn't get to watch because I spent the entire night on the phone with you. Yeah. And uh, he says, okay, well, never mind. He said, I thought if you were in Columbus, I'd just ask you to meet me in my office at eight o'clock and we try to see if we can't salvage this anyway. Yeah. I said, Hey, you give me the word. I'll be in your office in two hours. You know, right uh, Right now I don't need to sleep. I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm going to, I'm going to get this thing done. We had to get it to the board of elections that Monday at four o'clock. Right. If we're going to get it done. So we, um, he said, okay, well here, meet me in my office at eight o'clock. It'll just be you and me, nobody else. So we, we can do that. And I went down there I walked in his office at quarter to eight. There were about 15 people in there. <laughs> and I just looked at him. He says, Kenny, they're all leaving. They're all leaving. And he told everyone, go go someplace else. I got to meet with him and the leader. And, and it would just be the, the two of us and nobody else. We uh, we had a long meeting. We, we met for almost four hours. Um, Harry McCarthy, who headed up the coalition of 40 people that was originally started by the League of Women Voters who tried to make it a ballot initiative. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, he spent the time he had to call me as I was pulling out of my garage in Richmond Heights, and that took me about two and a half hours to drive down the, to the state house. And I was taking notes on the yellow pad while driving my car. I hope the law enforcement are listening. <laughs> and uh, all the way down, taking notes, he gave me 40 points that he really wanted me to address if possible. Mm-hmm. And Larry Oboff and I, we sat down and we addressed all 40 points. And when we got done and Larry looked at me, he says, do we have a deal? I said, hang on, we've, we've done this before. Let's, let's try something different. I said, there's your phone. You have Terry McCarthy on speed dial. He said, yes, I do. I said, hit the button. He called Kerry. Kerry answered the phone. He said, Mr. President. I said, no, Kerry, it's Kenny. You know, just uh, I'm using his phone. He's with me. We want to go over some of the things that we talked about today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started going over the list. He said, my God, you, you guys hit on all 40 points. And we did. Mm-hmm. He was in my minority caucus room with, the, with all the key people. I said, uh, are you having a speakerphone as we went over all the stuff? He said, yes, we did. Everybody heard. They said they did. I said, are, are they giving me a thumbs up or is there just one finger <laughs> sticking uh-huh. up in the air? He said, no, it's, uh, it's uh, all smiles and thumbs up. I said, I'll be right down. I'm going to put a call in to all my colleagues that meet us in the caucus room. We're going to vote on this right now. Hmm. And um, 
as I headed down there, as I walked in the room, I got a phone call real fast. Just let me take this one call and we'll, we'll get started. And it was Congresswoman Joyce Beatty. Mm-hmm. And she said, leader, I have three things to say to you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Good mm-hmm. job. And we passed it unanimously in our caucus. Larry Abhoff, he passed it unanimously in his caucus. We brought it to the Senate floor. We passed it unanimously. I think we had about eight or nine no votes in the House, but they're for the wrong reason, Tim. People called me and said, well, I wanted this to be included in the bill. Right. But, you know, b- believe it or not, Tim, we do have a single subject rule in the state of Ohio. We violate it every day. But I'm a stickler about that. I will not violate it. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, that your information did not belong in this bill. And nor the fact that you call me in 11 months and <laughs> even discuss it with me. Mm-hmm. So if you want to vote, no, go ahead. You know, the bill's still going to pass. It was shortly after that I got a phone call from some guy who said the governor wants to have a drink with me. And I said, no, he doesn't. The <laughs> governor knows I don't drink. He busts my chops about it all the time. Yeah. And he said, no, the governor doesn't know you. He doesn't know you don't drink. I said, what are you talking about? He's a Governor Schwarzenegger. I said, he's uh-huh. not a governor. He's what he, he likes to be called governor. But, but I do know for a fact, as we prepared for this, that Governor Schwarzenegger, when he was governor of California, um, he started talking about the need to, to visit this subject and, and congressional redistricting 20 years ago. And right. he's been adamant about it ever since. So we did get together. He brought his Austrian schnapps. I'm not a drinker. I didn't drink it. Yeah. I smelled it. I think I got high for about two and a half weeks just from the smell. <laughs> I tried I tried to put the shot glass in my two coat pocket and my went staffer yelled at me. She says, You look like a goofball standing there all bent out of shape. I said, I don't want to spill this in my pocket. It'll burn a hole right through my two coat, smell this stuff. <laughs> so she uh she dumped it out in the sink for me. Um, but it, it was a fun, exciting day. Um and, and it just shows you the impact that we had in Ohio that affected the entire country. And that's going to go into effect. That's going to go to effect after the census, yeah. But you know, that, that's that's another point of concern. I have I represent East Cleveland, uh, one of the it's a, been designated as the fourth poorest city of that size in the entire country. Wow! And yet, I don't think we I don't think we've collected either forty percent of our census oh my data God. so far because these people don't understand that we've been down there. We've talked to them. Mm. A couple of people say, Senator, you know me, you know my story. I'm a convicted felon. You know, I can't fill it out. I don't want to get that information out on, on the street. Yeah. And I, I tell these guys, first of all, they don't ask you that question. All they want to know is how many people are living in your house. And, and, if, you, and if you answer them, the city of East Cleveland will qualify for some federal money. Mm-hmm. Okay. If you don't do it, is there a penalty? Yes, there is a penalty. Are they going to come and take something out of your house? Are they going to give you a fine or something? No. But your city is going to get less money, and not just for one year or two years or five years, but for 10 years. Right. So we're talking about an awful lot of money. The more people who don't respond to this census is going to cost the city of East Cleveland millions and millions and millions of much-needed, desperate dollars. Right. So, you know, we, we have to do better. And uh, so unfortunately, it falls on deaf ears many times. But you know, this is how it's, we got we got to communicate better with these, everybody, and it's and it's difficult. Well, it sounds like it sounds like you have a. People. I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. That's yeah, okay. Go on. Oh, it sounds like you have a pretty good relationship with um, President Abhoff. Would you say that? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And what's what's your role as minority leader? How do you get things accomplished, or what do you think your job is? Well, I think my job is to be the leader of the caucus. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we've got concerns. We want bills. We want directed to a committee. Um, we kind of know, based on committee assignment, where our best odds are uh, uh-huh. with colleagues that might be willing to listen to what you have to say as opposed to those who might say, no way in hell. Yeah. Um, so it's my job to work with the Senate president to try to direct uh, certain bills in the certain committees, uh, sometimes getting them out of committees, sometimes getting them onto the Senate floor, uh, sometimes it's having to do with staffing issues, um, sometimes it just has to do with uh, miscommunications. Um, sometimes it has to do with when we when we passed that congressional redistricting bill. Uh, that was something that Vernon Sykes, as a state representative 20 years ago, was working on. And when I asked him, because of his past experience, if he would be my representative on our on our representing our, our caucus right. for the redistricting, he was elated. And then all of a sudden, uh, I won't go into the gory details, but I we decided as Democrats we were not going to co-sponsor that bill. Mm. And and Byrne 
he he listened to what I, I asked the members. I don't I don't do caucus votes because after everyone was elected on their own accord, they they should be afforded the opportunity to vote how they see fit. Right. How they see that not not what I want. So I, I did ask the folks not not to co-sponsor this bill. You can vote for it, but just don't co-sponsor it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in support for women all over the state of Ohio because of some marks, remarks that were made. Um, so Byrne didn't do it. And little did I know but until the next day that he came and told me that, uh, you know, he was asked to be the, a joint sponsor in the bill, be him and, and Matt Huffman. Mm-hmm. And I knew he was upset. So I, I asked my assistant minority leader, Cecil Thomas, to take over the caucus meeting. I went to go see uh, President Lafoff, and uh, we figured out a way after about an hour and a half. Uh, well, we can put Byrne's name on that bill. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it was never done before, actually, but I'm 70 years old. I've seen a whole lot in my lifetime that happened for the first time, mm-hmm. whether it be with the space shuttles or putting John Glenn up in the air or open heart surgeries, the whole nine yards. So right. this is, this is how we make things happen. And when does that, uh, when does that leadership get determined next time? Uh, after the election on March, March 3rd, um, they'll probably take a, take a revisit, mm-hmm. uh, see who's leaving, who's coming in. And we'll probably have some conversations, um, and see, uh, who wants to be a leader, uh, for the next two years. Uh, I'm very much interested in continuing what I've done for the last four years. I think mm-hmm. we've worked very hard mm-hmm. when the pandemic first hit. Um, I sat at my desk almost every day and wrote personal notes, to, like all the lobbyists and, and the key people in Ohio and didn't talk about politics at all. Mm-hmm. Talked about their families, told them to be safe, and cracked a lot of jokes because I like making people smile. And uh, a lot of those people still have those notes on display in their offices, hanging on their walls, the whole nine yards, mm-hmm. taped to their credenza. Uh, it, it just takes a lot of effort, but those are the things you need to do. I can I can remember this summer talking with my wife while watching the Indians ballgame on a Saturday night, and all of a sudden I pick up the phone and call a lobbyist because – I know we've teased an awful lot about the Indians baseball team and I can call them and talk about the Indians cause they were doing good that night or something. Mm-hmm. And again, just building goodwill. It's something I learned a long time ago. You know, when I was with the union, I've always said that if you ever name a street up to me after I die, don't call it one way because that's <laughs> not a compliment. Right. So I, I work very hard every day to, to build relationships, to uh, close that gap that, that's been built up for so many years and work together with people. Uh, the governor and I work together very well. The lieutenant governor and I work together very well. All these are of the opposite party, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and but as a result of it, you know, I think my members prosper from it. I think our our residents of Ohio. I mean, we have 11.6 million people who I think have a better quality of life because of the work we've done in the Ohio Senate. Right. And I hope to continue this for the next two years, and then I'll be term limited. Oh well. Okay. Okay. Yep. Well, you know, a couple of things that you've that you've been a part of this year have been appreciated by the industry. The uh, the House Bill Four, capital appropriations for school facilities, um, appropriating three hundred million dollars to new capital funds for the OFCC, which uh, you know largely funds school school work. Um, and you know, I've, I've maintained a long time ago that number one in Ohio, we've got a, a major problem that we legislate by zip code, we educate by zip code, we incarcerate by zip code. Hmm. Uh, a lot of our poor communities who have to have a reliance on property values like East Cleveland, they get very little for their schools. And in order yeah. for us to maintain the physical structure of that classroom, we need those dollars. And mm-hmm. we have to fight like hell. And I've maintained for also just as long that our kids make up 30% of our population, yet they're 100% of our future. Huh. We have to invest in, in them. And, and their, their buildings are very, very important. It's a key in part. It's, it's our, what we, you and I recognize as we grew up was such an instrumental part of us becoming a child to, to adulthood. Right. You know, our, our relationships that we built, the things we learned, whether it be in the classroom or in the playground, we learned an awful lot of valuable lessons. And we, I want to make sure that our kids had the same opportunity. You can't do that when you're working in a classroom. Uh, that doesn't have uh, you know heat and air conditioning. It doesn't have right. proper lighting. It doesn't have access to uh, our computers. Doesn't have restroom facilities, a gymnasium, and an auditorium so the kids can perform in the arts. You know there are so many things we need to accomplish, and th- that bill brought valuable dollars to a lot of our schools that were very much in need. 
Absolutely. And, uh, and also the transportation budget. We need, uh, <laughs> I mean, we need more on that. And the gas tax, 11 and a half cents, I think it was, um, the, the governor, the governor proposed 18 cents. If you remember, I think I was the only one who jumped up and was applauding it at yeah. the time, but I, I knew what it meant. Right. I also knew Tim that as like my wife and I would travel throughout the state, one particular, right before the transportation bill came to the floor, um, I was asked to speak at an, an event in Cincinnati. So Tam and I are driving from Cleveland to Cincinnati, and I get by uh, exit 204 in Lodi, where mm-hmm. the uh, outlet malls are. Right. There's a gas station there, and I see the price of gas. And then I go, we're driving down to Cincinnati. We spent the day there. We're driving back home. We get up by Polaris Parkway, and I was getting low on gas at that point. So we pulled off. We went to a gas station. I paid 68 cents a gallon more for gas at that gas station than I would have if I had enough gas to drive back up to Lodi and fill up at the other gas station. And you know what? You know how many phone calls I got about that? None. Because nobody pays right. attention. Nobody cares. 68 cents means nothing to them. But yet we were told that if we went to 18 cents, my God, the world would come to a halt. Right. Well, it wouldn't come to a halt. You know what would come to a halt? Broken roads, broken bridges, broken infrastructure, water lines that continue to break in the wintertime. Water lines that don't provide clean water for us to drink out of and everything. You know, the very work that your members do, right. they do it so well. You know, we, we need money to make these things happen. If we want and business in Ohio, we, if we want business in Ohio, you have to have roads. You have to have infrastructure. And it's, and especially when we're up here in the north northern part and off the lake where we get the challenging winters, it, it wreaks havoc on our infrastructure. Like you can't, well, you can believe it, but yeah. some of the other people can't. They don't understand why so important to us but that that budget that the governor proposed and i told him uh, a long time ago, when he first talked about 18 cents he said, what do you think we proposed 18 cents i said not enough mm-hmm. it just wasn't enough you know and i had hoped that he would have proposed more so we maybe perhaps we could settle on 18 cents and if you mm-hmm. recall larry householder who promised so many people that you know especially the unions that he was there for them mm-hmm. okay the first day the governor announced he wanted 18 cents, Larry Householder, what did he say? That's way too much. Six. Let's cut it. Let, let's cut it down uh, to six. Right. President President Hoffa didn't want anything. <laughs> I still wanted to fight like hell for 18, and I think we finally settled. Uh, I, I think on 10 for a while. I think the final what number was? It was 10 and a half cents, wasn't it? Uh, something like that. 11 cents yeah. around uh, there. Yeah. And and, and and I thought it was very very unfortunate because we had a great opportunity because we have tremendous need all throughout Ohio. It's mm. not just the bridges in the northern part. And people, when people realize that the number of bridges we have are in the thousands of numbers, you know, all of a sudden right. it might, might be an eye-awakening experience. Because who pays for these bridges if the, to maintain them? But more importantly, who pays the price if one of those bridges collapse if you're driving over it? Right. You pay with your life. It's so a lot that, more expensive to, to clean up a mess than to, to keep it. Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. So those are the things that we have to look out for day in and day out. But that, that transportation budget was, was gigantic. I, I, I hope that what we will do eventually in the future is we'll just continue to build on that and add, add perhaps more money every budget cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, because our, our needs are not going to go away. You know, all of a sudden the sun's not going to come out on next Tuesday and make all of our bridges whole again. That's not going to happen, Tim. Right. It's going to cause us to have a lot of, construction, a lot of repair, a lot of restoration um, to, to stabilize uh, what was become a broken environment in Ohio. Yeah. Well, I've been hearing we a lot. Of, we can do it. I, absolutely. We have to do it. And, but I've been hearing a lot of uh, uh, prognosticators say that the uh, the Democratic Party is likely to pick up some seats in the Ohio General Assembly. Oh, um, we're hoping, buddy. We're working hard at it. I, we're well, working hard. Well, I know you are. I just wondered wanted to ask you Assuming that happens, or even if it doesn't happen, what are you going to be your top priority issues come 2021? Probably helping us recover from the pandemic. Mm-hmm. You know, the pandemic has wreaked havoc on us. Uh, it, it's like I said, it's devastated our communities. It's devastated our schools. It's de- uh, devastated our, our healthcare community. Um, I'm concerned now, too, that you know so many businesses have resorted to a stay-at-home-and-work process, mm-hmm. which many people have said, okay, you're not paying for parking, you're not paying for gas, you're not paying, you know, so we're going to cut your pay. Hmm. 
and I'm hearing anywhere from 50% to, to 80% uh, that they're making right now, what they used to make. But when you're, when you're taking cuts like that, and you're taking cuts of any size, um, it's devastating to a homeowner mm-hmm. and, right. their, and, and their families. Uh, but also, what do we do with all these office buildings? Like in downtown Columbus, they've all been basically vacant since last March. Okay. No one's down there. The restaurants are all closed. Parking lots are empty. There's no, no, uh, hint of a rush hour traffic in Columbus anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. The coffee shops are all closed. So now, now my question is what happens when we, this pandemic does come to an end? And there are some people, I was on, on the news on Fox 8 yesterday, I was watching one of the doctors from, I believe it was the clinic. She said she's participating in one of the test vaccines. She says, but it's going to be two years before these vaccines get approved. And then they, they have to be manufactured. Right. They have to be produced. They have to be distributed. We have to educate the medical community on what you can and cannot expect from these vaccines, what you can mix with them and what you cannot mix with these things. But we're talking a couple more years down the road, possibly. Mm-hmm. You know, um, how are these office towers going to survive with no one in them? How are our restaurants and bars and drugstores and parking lots and everything else going to survive with, with nobody going down there? You know, these are our concerns, and we're going to have to address them as a legislature. You know, we were off to a great start when the Governor DeWine took over, collecting money. Uh, things were looking good. Fundraising for our, our campaigns, we were off to a record-setting trend. This mm-hmm. pandemic came by and shut us down. We thought it might last three months. We were wrong. Uh, it's been, what, eight months already, just about, and we're still suffering probably more today than we did back back last March. And... uh We've got a lot of work to do, so we're going to continue to fight. We've got it's a great opportunities in Ohio with, for the Democrats. I think people are recognizing um, a whole a whole lot of promises made and promises broken. Um, they, they recognize the fact that as a party and as a state, we all have to work together in, in a closer way than what we've ex- experienced and shown people to be willing to do in the past. Mm-hmm. And it's, but it's not getting the job done. You know, our schools are still broken. Um, the Roth decisions in over 20 years in existence, four times our Supreme Court orders to do something. Tim, I can promise you that if you and I go to court today and the Supreme Court gives us a mandate and we don't listen, we will be in the Great Bar Motel before we know it. Right. Yet the Gen- General Assembly for over 20 years have totally ignored not one, two or three, but four orders from the Ohio Supreme Court to fix school funding. Mm-hmm. Now, now we have two legislators, Bob Cup, who now happens to be the Speaker of the House. And John, John Patterson, a former educator, they've been working on a, working on a program, working on a plan to fix school funding. We are so close, but now we're not meeting. I just spoke right. with the president of the Senate before uh, I got on this call with you this morning. And then my question was, so do we have session next week or not? We have two days scheduled as at, if needed. He says, no, I'm going to cancel them both. We canceled this week. We canceled last week. The House already told us they're not coming back till after election day. Well, if we're not meeting, we're not passing anything. Right. Um, so, you know, next year come January, um, we have a lot of work to do. You know, we never got to, we never got to hear Mike DeWine's state of the state address last year because it was supposed to be in March mm-hmm. and he canceled or he postponed uh, because of the pandemic. Well, we never got, got that chance to get together with him. Uh, you know, you saw what happened when he put together his health director, Dr. Amy Acton, mm-hmm. and put her on Front Street. And I think she did a tremendous job. Yeah. I think she is commended. I think she saved lives galore. And right. you saw the price that she paid for it with people parading in front of her house with Nazi signs and rebel flags and uh, anti-Semitic slurs at her. And, and she just had enough. Then we replaced her. And I got an interview from one of the newspapers. They said, how long do you think she'll last? I said, I'd give her a day. Well, it's four hours that she was on the duty when she resigned because she said she wasn't aware of all the turmoil that we put Amy through. Right. She just did not want that for her family. So, you know, we, we have to we have to start doing things better. We've got the capability. You know, I, I believe in, in my heart that every legislator that gets elected has has some good in them, some more than others. But we have we have to capitalize on the good in each of us and vow to do better, vow to work together, vow to you know, they say God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we can listen twice as much as we talk. Um <laughs> yep. You know, that, that's hard to tell that to a politician. Yeah. They like to talk, they like to listen. And, uh, but we, we got to do a better job, Tim, and we will. Well, I appreciate all you do for us as, uh, you know, one of, our, one of our representatives down in the General Assembly. Appreciate your leadership down there. 
Um, wish you all the best. Uh, stay healthy, and um, thanks for your time today. That we do. You, you do the same, and tell all your uh, your friends and colleagues and families too. You know, be safe, stay home, stay healthy, and uh, we'll get through this. And uh, better days are ahead. Absolutely. Thanks a lot, okay. Senator. Thanks, thanks, Jim. Bye bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.